We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm here. Tommy is here. The show, as always, presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. We have not talked since the Wednesday before Thanksgiving when I picked Washington to cover. Uh, And not only did I pick them to cover, oh, my God, did I bet them to cover. Um, in that game, really? Uh, yeah, I, I really felt good about that game. Uh, I was not right. Clearly, I forget what your final score prediction was. You had the Cowboys easily, right? Yeah, I didn't have them forty-five ten. No, but I had them probably by at least fifteen points. Uh, yeah. So that was the. La- I mean, it's been nearly a week since we have uh, has yeah. since we've even talked. And a lot's happened over the last week. First of all, how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was good up in Westchester. Uh, I was able to, with the, an app I, I downloaded on my phone, I put my headphones on, sat in a corner in a nice, comfortable chair once the game started, and was able to sit there and ignore the 30 people around me while yeah. I looked at my phone and watched the game. That's so what what app did you download to watch the game? The the NFL.com uh, app? Uh, did you what was no, it? No, 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 no. I forget. I don't remember. Roku. Maybe Roku. Roku? They had a seven day trial, so it didn't cost me anything. Gotcha. Okay. I was gonna say you could have probably done the YouTube um NFL thing because that's got a I think that's got a, a one week uh trial as well. Yeah, it, it had a trial which I've signed on and signed off of. Did anybody try so, to uh, interrupt you as you were watching the game in your corner? No. They everyone there kind of knows the drill by now. Mm-hmm. So they, they knew that they knew pretty much to leave me alone. You, you I mean you didn't have to watch, you know, pretty much beyond the early portion of the fourth quarter, so that gave you an opportunity to join the crowd. Once it got to like thirty-one oh, no, to no, ten. Oh no, 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 no! It's just—I mean, it's like once you've seen the car wreck, you can't take your eyes off. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was God. You know, one of the things that I don't think I've talked about in relation to the game. I had Cooley on the day after. I had Jay Gruden on. We talked a little bit about it on Monday as well. I, oh, I think I did mention this, but I'll mention it to you. 
You know that for a long period of time, you know, 25 years, we have been hosting Thanksgiving. You know, that's what we do. And we've had, you know, gatherings of anywhere from 20 to as much as 40 something people before. Um, And in recent years, we've had a lot of Washington-Dallas games on Thanksgiving over the last 10, 11 years. And so that's always a disruption. And we talked about that on, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I did just make a mental note, and I think I shared this with everybody on Friday's show, that for the first time, there was just the least amount of interest in the game from people who would have been really interested in the game in the past. And, you know, I didn't sit there and and make it a big part of the conversation or ask why. I mean, there were still plenty of us watching the game, but nobody was watching it as intently as they've watched it before. And, you know, I think I told you the plan was to have dinner during halftime and to pause the game, which we did. And that enabled us when we, the few of us that sat down, in fact, I'll tell you right now, because I didn't share this after dinner, which we allowed to last as long as we wanted it to last. Nobody was in a big hurry to get back to the second half. It was 20 to 10 at halftime. My bet was still very much alive, you know, uh, at that point I was still, uh, you know, I think in pretty good shape. I felt in pretty good shape. I've said this a couple of times. Some of you have taken uh, issue with it. I think the game was a competitive game heading into the into the fourth quarter. I mean, Washington offensively moved the football and seemed capable a lot of that game of keeping the football. They just didn't end drives with points. But I was getting 14 in that game. You know, when we talked about it, it was 10 and a half. The thing went to 14 by the time yeah. the game kicked off. So I still felt like I – no one was in a hurry to get back to the game. In fact, I think it was maybe three of us that went back in, turned the game on, and by the time others joined and they didn't join very, you know, attentively, they didn't even realize that it was already, you know, late in the third quarter. I had already fast-forwarded through a bunch of commercials and that they had missed part of the thir- – nobody – I. it's my experience, it's not everybody else's. It's my experience with the people that I have spent – a lot of my time, friends primarily, not so much family members other than my boys, that most people don't care nearly as much. And I have wow. I've admittedly said I don't care as much as I used to, um, which actually is a perfect segue into something here real quickly. I'll, I'll circle back to Thanksgiving in a moment, but it just reminded me because I had this um, – I had this uh, this tweet that I read at the beginning of the radio show today because I had just read it before I opened the show. Here it is. It's from Jen on Twitter. Why don't you say Commanders? You do know that's the name of the team. I find your straddling of the Commanders line to be a problem. I love your show. Have listened to you with my husband and two sons for years. Just get over the old name. Time to move on. Um. So, uh, I, I think a a lot of, a a lot of people in my generation of hardcore Redskins fans, I've said this for a while now, but the loss of the name, and I think you agree with me, should not be understated 
by new ownership in terms of the ability to get these people back. And it's not going to be. I mean, the one thing I've learned about Josh Harris, in part because I've talked to a lot of these people, they are going to explore. Like, Jen, to your note, first of all, I I do say commanders every once in a while. I'm not, you know, it it isn't as painful to say it anymore. But it, it still doesn't feel like my team, and I want that name removed. I want them to go to Washington and have the brand be Washington, and I want the old uniforms back. You can keep the W helmets. I don't care. Um, but I want that to be the brand. But there, you know, for me to to move on, I think they're going to be moving on from the name. I, I mean, they are they're going to explore this. They've already been exploring it. They're going to take seriously what a lot of fans have checked out on, and that is an organization that doesn't feel like their organization anymore. So to answer Jen. I don't know. I don't know if I'm straddling the commander's line. Whatever I say, whatever comes into my mind. But I don't think we're going to have to deal with commanders anymore. the The, the way to keep commanders, the way to keep commanders, was for them to have a great season. Tommy, are they in the midst yes. of a great season right now? <laughs> they are in the midst of not even your typical Ron Rivera Super Bowl. Send me my ring. Eight, eight, and one season. Yeah, they're not even in that kind of season. This is the first year since 2019, the Jay Gruden Callahan year, um, that Washington has played in December without any kind of hope of making the postseason. Remember, 2020 they won the division. 2021 they were six and six playing in December before you know the COVID ravaged team. Uh, went out on the field, you know, on Tuesday afternoon against the Eagles. Uh, last year, at this point, they were seven five and one, and getting ready to play the Giants after a bye week for basically the sixth seed. So this year is more like 2019, um, you know, was which is you know five games we gotta you know we gotta trudge through. Um, without having them really mean anything other than what I've been talking about for a while, and I think we both have together, and that is continue, continuing to evaluate Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, and seeing where that goes in the offseason. Anyway, what were we talking about before I got sidetracked on the commander's name? Just that I just sense that in my group of hardcore fans, I just hope that they don't, understate how significant that is right now. You are a big believer that it is kind of that generation of fans that they've got to win back even more than the younger fans. You've been, you've been, uh, you've been trying to make me buy into that for a while now. So the name Jen will be yeah, an because issue. The younger, the younger fans viewing habits and commitment habits to a team, to, to a team are much more sporadic in the older generation, uh, you know, I mean, they, uh, the younger uh, generation, my impression is they commit to players. They don't necessarily commit to teams. They don't go to games every week like the older generation did. They go to games when they decide on Saturday, yeah, let's go to a football game, you know, or Friday. They watch highlights instead of watching games. I mean, you can chase that group if you want, and of course, you want any group you can get your hands on, but that's not how you're going to build your team. You're still going to build your team with the lost generation that you've got to get back. Yeah, 
I, you know, I, I. You know, some people must have been interested. Forty-one point eight million viewers. It peaked at forty-four something million. It was the third most watched game in NFL history during the regular season. <laughs> Hey, um, so somebody must have been interested. You know, now, with those kind of numbers, how do you fire a defensive coordinator who brings you those kind of numbers? Oh, God. Huh? Yeah. Um, that's right. We haven't talked about that either, although you did make me just read your column that you have out today. Um, and I did jot down one little thought about your column. Um, I'll play editor here in a moment. But... uh yeah, so Del Rio um, is out. By the way, they hired somebody today. Uh, hold on for a second. I'm going to get this guy's name. A former Bills guy or something like that. Yeah. Um, the guy's name is Jim Salgado. They hired him to be an interim defensive backs assistant coach. He was at Michigan State, all right, uh, where you know that whole staff, staff got boomed. Um, He spent six seasons as a defensive assistant for the Bills, uh, and he was also an assistant at Syracuse when their linebackers coach, uh, when their uh, linebackers coach Steve Russ was at Syracuse. I actually, when I first heard the name and heard Buffalo Bills, figured it was a Sean McDermott back to Ron Rivera, Carolina fit. I don't know why. I would guess that he was just available and on the cheap, maybe. Because they had announced last week that Christian Garcia was going to be elevated to DB's coach and that um, Rodgers was going to help Ron with the game planning. Um, but anyway, well, look, you got your desire, which many people agreed with you. I didn't feel like I needed that, you know, I, we, we had these discussions. I did not feel like I needed Josh Harris to prove to me that he wasn't passive or complacent or wasn't paying attention by firing somebody. I just didn't feel that way. I still don't feel that way. But it was totally justified that somebody paid the price for, you know, some of the performances this year. Um so the firing of Del Rio, do you th- like? Do, do you feel like fans got you know th- that there's some sort of confirmation that Josh Harris is paying attention and that you know th- th- that they got something for you know the pain they've endured this year? You know what? I don't think they're satisfied, but I think they've calmed down. I think I think the edge has maybe been taken off their anger and frustration. No, I think a lot of them wouldn't be satisfied unless Ron Rivera was on the chopping block. Definitely, but I, but I think I think you agree with me that 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 would be more trouble than it's worth at this point. That would be a bigger disruption than you, than you need to. You can deal with that at, after the season's over, you know, because most teams do not get better after they fire a head coach. Uh, so I think this served its purpose. I think it took the edge off a little bit and just showed, oh, okay, you're right. We do stink. I Maybe I better do something about it, uh, you know, signal from the ownership. Uh, however, you know, however important that may be, on some level, I think you needed to do something. And, you know, it, it was the easiest, the easiest way to do both. Let me just mention, because I I had this on the podcast on Friday. Um, 
because I learned from multiple sources after this went down, I was on the radio at the time, that this was not, at least according to my sources, an ownership demand. It was Ron Rivera basically, you know, getting back from Dallas and saying, I want to do this. Now, you know, I guess you could say, um, because you kind of inferred this or implied this in your column, which I read, you know, in three minutes, it was one of your longer columns of the year, um, as a side note, but, um, uh, I don't, I personally was told that Josh Harris and ownership was not demanding any change after the Dallas game. And that Ron. Well, there's demanding and there's demanding. Okay. Uh, if you're talking to your owner and you say, you know, I think I'm going to get rid of uh, Fire Jack Del Rio, and the owner says, well, that might be a good idea. That's not demanding. Uh, the point being, he didn't go to Ron saying, fire Jack. No, or, I don't know. think he would do yeah. that. I don't either. I don't think he would. Do, I don't think I think he a lot of people that. think that he did. But, but I, th- I think, I don't think, look, even for Ron, I don't think you needed to be a brain surgeon to figure out that you needed to show ownership. That ownership needed a sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. Well, Ron gave him and a sacrificial lamb. And if you still have any lamb. hope at all of appeasing your owner, you should recognize that. You know, I think one of the interesting things about this, and I've asked multiple people on the show this week, uh, and that is that um, there didn't seem to be any sort of outcry, uh, once again, for Jack to be fired by the players that play for him. And, I, I mean... You know, going to your column, and I'll give you my editorial uh, advice post-haste here in a moment, but, uh, I mean, you went back to, you know, when he was expressing his political be- uh, beliefs on Twitter and he got fined $100,000 for the dust-up comments about January 6th, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, that didn't get him fired, and we talked about it at the time. And the reason for that is he was still very much a respected coach in that building. Yes. And I'm not sure yes. that All he that is still true. isn't. I think but, he still may be. But, but if you notice the language in that locker room changed the week before Del Rio was fired. Give me an example. The language in that locker room changed to, like, everybody's supposed to do their job you know, this is a business. You know, people have to be accountable. It, you know, it, it had changed dramatically to the sense that the players recognized that somebody was going to lose their job. Well, Tommy, the, the week before coming off that loss to the Giants, Ron, the, the next day, I think we talked about this. It was his Monday presser, so it was probably after we had recorded the podcast that day. I think we talked about it on Wednesday. Ron went the same route he's gone in the past. You know, after looking at the film, a lot of guys didn't do their job. A lot of young players made mistakes. He did that thing again. Yeah. So. Well, all I'm saying is the players in the locker room, their answers were more, you know, more cold. Yeah. Not, not necessarily, I mean, they were more detached from the situation. Well, that was my, that was going to be my my um, advice to you as your um, as your faux editor, which would have been, I don't think, and I read this very quickly. Maybe you did include this, but why didn't you include in your column that it's possible that 
Well, he didn't lose support of his players a few years ago or whenever that was now. Can't even remember when that was. Was that the beginning of 22 or 21? 22 would have been. I don't know when it was. 22. Um, uh, and I thought that I think I still find that interesting. I still find that very interesting that given those comments in that environment that we were living in then, well, that was 22. I'm thinking 2021, that more players didn't speak out against what he had said. Uh, and we didn't, we didn't have a peep. And not only that, we learned, you know, the players actually really liked him and really respected him. Uh, but whatever, Jack's gone. But that, uh, had, that had nothing. That's not, that wasn't what the column was about. The column is, was about how, how unique that was that you had a coach in any sport, but particularly in Washington, D.C., who was fined $100,000 for his political beliefs. I mean, you know, how many times has that happened in our lifetime? I understand that. My point I mean, is that he. That, I would have looked that at it. That was my point. Okay. And also, my point was basically, Jack must have really liked being a coach, the defensive coordinator here, because he was willing to pay $100,000 to keep his job. What I'm saying to you is, I would look at it from the other way, which is. You know, and I'd add, as you just added, in what world in Washington, D.C., does somebody say what he said in that environment and not lose his job? And the reason he didn't is because he had all of the support, football-wise, from those people in that building. I just thought that that was also another way to look at it. You, you're saying, well, I mean, you wrote that he paid, he, he loved his job so much he paid $100,000 to keep it. I'm saying, how did he not get fired? Well, the reason he well, didn't get again, fired yeah, is that I, he I had the support out, of a lot of, of people time, in the building. Most of the time, that would be. But the people in the building didn't matter at that point. You're heading NAACP is calling for your head. I know, and he still and kept his job. That's, that, that's, that's on camera. All right. I mean, the $100,000 was, was their version of firing Jack Del Rio. <laughs> okay. Doesn't seem like a big price to pay. Um, well, you know what? Tell me the last coach that, that's had to deal with that. In the history of sports, no, I know, I know the point you're making, and I and I I don't disagree with how unusual it was, you know, uh, that you're paying a fine for something that you expressed. I'm saying it's kind of amazing, and it was in the moment to consider that he didn't lose his job. And I'm not saying that yeah. I, I I felt like he should have because my view was that he 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 that that shouldn't cost him his job. I said at the time, and I stick by it today. The the comments, by the way, were stupid in many ways because the dust up comment. I'm speaking for myself, was absurd. You know, to describe it that way, he's entitled to that opinion. And by the way, many people agreed with him, but whatever. My, my point was it was stupid because he was an employee of an organization that is a so public and B at the time was in so much hot water for yeah. all of the other yeah. things it was doing. And it added just an unnecessary fuel to the fire. And for him not to recognize that was stupid. Like, Hey Jack, you know, it's the Jordan line in reverse. Hey Jack, even Democrats buy sneakers. You should have you should have had that thought before that moment. But um but whatever. Uh right, whatever. Yeah, whatever. He's 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 gone and like honestly, it's for me, 
it's such a non it's a big story and it was a big story on Friday but I, all of these guys are going to be gone on January 8th Ron's gone the staff's gone I mean the Bienemy question is still out there understood but you know um it's like whether it happened Friday Ron Jack one or the other or happens January 8th to me like I think I said to you in previous conversations like if you were really going to be worked up after 24 years over the new owner not firing a guy a month and a half earlier, I mean, what were you doing these 24 years? Like, I mean, what oh, we've I had think, to endure? I think that, that either you can succumb to, to the pain or you can be sensitive to every little nick. There's two ways of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the fan base are sensitive to every little paper cut. I think it's built up much. Some, I think it's built up a lot of thick skin for me, as it relates to this well, team I'm and sure what I'm able to endure. That, that's a reasonable. Yeah, that's a reasonable point of view. I'm sure there's a lot of the fan base that's <clears throat> that seems immune to this kind of stuff because they've had to deal with it for so long. Right. But let me take the car and swerve it to the right real quick, or to the left. Okay. A sharp curve. And mention Eric Bieniemy, and that the jury's still out <clears throat> on Eric Bieniemy. Yep. The jury's not out for me on a coach who calls shotgun on a one-yard gain uh, situation. <laughs> you mean th- on fourth th- and one? I think even three to one, three and third and one. Yeah, third he and did one. It too. Third and one and fourth and one. Yeah, but in that-, that Dallas game, that guy, that guy doesn't work for me mm-hmm. next year. That was such. And I mean that was such like a detached uh, point of reality for a coach. Tommy, do you watch? I mean, what do you could watch he other football? Thinking, half, and then he did it again. Tommy, half the teams in the league on third and fourth and shorter and shotgun. That's not unusual. Oh, that was absurd. It's not absurd. Half the league is in shotgun on third and one, unless you're doing was, unless your quarterback sneaking. At fourth and one, well, yeah, I you know, mean, you who see, who would have thought of that? A quarterback sneak. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe the Eagles do it. They do it very well. It's going to get outlawed. To me, Eric Bieniemy hurt himself significantly with that. Um, that was ridiculous. Oh God, we're going back to the Dallas game. So, on Bieniemy, I don't. Let me just be clear on this. I would much rather have the team that I sort of root for. (laughs) That's awful for me to say that. I do root for them, and I want them to come back as Washington with the old uniforms, and I'm all the way back in. But I'd much rather have the team that lines up on third and one and has a quarterback that can just, you know, shove his way to a first down. Or we're going, you know, three tight ends, full back, and we're going to ram it down your throat. But half the league doesn't do it that way. I mean, it's been years since we've had, you know, slobber knocker third and one football from, you know, half the league. Half the league's in shotgun the entire game, Look, third and ten or third fourth, and one. Fourth but, and one is inexcusable. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you say. You can talk it into existence if you want. But Romo thought it was ridiculous. I'm not saying that. Who was calling the game I, that day? I, I'm not telling you that it's 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 – it's right or wrong. I'm telling you it's not unusual. It's what the league, a lot of the league does. Quarterbacks are in shotgun well, this is like, the majority this is like of the, the time, whether it's fourth and 20 or fourth and two or fourth and one. 
This is like the kid going home to his parent and saying, well, my friends did the same thing. Well, it's just what the way. What's so bad? It, I'm not making an excuse for it. I'm just telling you, you're, you seem so shocked, and I'm telling you, you shouldn't be. If you watch football, you see it all the time. I watch football. Well, you, then they, it, they it got seemed, a lot of criticism during the game for well, that. They, they, you know what? Announcers always criticize especially the guys that have been around for a while. But half the league lines up in shotgun on third and one, fourth and one. It happens all the time. I'm just telling you that. That's just – so I, I, w- I was not surprised by Washington in shotgun on third and one, fourth and one. I did not like the fact that the, the play call they had for fourth and one was completely botched in the backfield by Josh Dotson and motion and a center getting thrown back. Um, c- quite honestly, I think this team, fourth and one, probably has looked to throw the ball on fourth and one, fourth and two, much more so than they've looked to run it anyway. I do wonder, though, why quarterback sneak isn't an option because I think Sam Howell's a decent quarterback sneaker when they've done it before. So I agree with you. I didn't like the calls. I'm just telling you that it's not as unusual as it seems you, you know, that you thought it was. But anyway, um, back to just kind of the Eric Piennemi conversation, which you was, for, for you was crystallized with the third and one and fourth and one. I think in my last podcast on Monday, I think I read this, and I'm uh, I'm looking for it right now because I want to read it to you because I want to get back into this conversation about the enemy because this is to me the rest of the season is about Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy. Sam Howell one, Sam Howell one A and two, and then Eric Bieniemy sort of two A and three, and and the rest of it is like you know, way down the list of what makes watching the rest of this season interesting. Um, Here it is. Okay. It was, uh, so I got this thing from Peyton. Peyton, first of all, um, he he said something about what I commented on Popovich last week. I don't know if you saw what Popovich did when they were booing Kawhi Leonard. But anyway, take that that out. He wrote, um, Kevin, I need more of that Sheehan Irish attitude in the backing of an old school Eric Bieniemy. He's the guy. Why can't you see it? He's the only person in that organization that's ever won a Super Bowl. I have loved his growth as a play caller and see a legitimate leader every time he steps to the microphone. Am I missing something here? I agree that it didn't make sense to fire Ron Rivera and make Eric Bieniemy the head coach right now, but he should be at the top of the list of those interviewed when the season ends. He's been around winners. He's a winner. The Chiefs' offense isn't as good without him, although I'm not sure that should be entirely about the loss of the enemy. But we have, and then he writes in capital letters, the next guy in the building. Don't let him go like we did 10 years ago. And he's referring to all of the coaches on the Shanahan staff there. So, um, First of all, just because uh, I read this on the air on radio, and I said, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but it seems like he might be the only guy with a Super Bowl ring in the building. Actually, I was way well, wrong. That's not true. Yeah, Ron Rivera's yeah. got one uh, from the yeah. 85 Bears. And Martin Mayhew's got one, played for the 91 Skins. Duh. Steve Russ has, their linebackers coach, has two rings. And there's, you know, a, a, a list. So anyway, um, you're done with Bienemy. It sounds to me like you are absolutely done with Bienemy. Yeah, I am. First of all, I think his 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 press conferences do not indicate anything to give you any reason to think 
that he would be head coach material. I think his press conferences are sometimes pathetic, sometimes laughable. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and here, here's the question for a new the, the questions fans should be asking themselves: not if you should have this guy, but if the new owners can should hire the best guy available. That should be, and actually, if the new owners can hire the GM who hires the best guy available, right? That's, that's the way this is supposed to work. That's the way it should work. That's what I think any fan would want it to work. But I think there are people out there that will suggest to you that, well, Ben Johnson and Brian Johnson and Kellen Moore and why not be enemy over those guys? You know, if you're going to go, if the GM's going to look at offensive coordinators who have really made their mark, why not Eric be enemy? You know, um, I'm with you. You know, general manager, hire the best possible person. Uh, that's that's out there and fits what you want, you know, in in the running yeah. of your organization. But I I was frustrated early on with Bienemy. Um, by the way, even if Bienemy was the only person in the building with a Super Bowl ring, that would not be a reason for me to say he's my primary interview here when the season ends. Okay, that's that's you know. I, it's got to be a lot more than just having been on a staff on a staff with Andy Reid and with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. I do find him over the last five weeks to be somebody that's become more intriguing to me than he was over the first seven weeks, Tommy, for this reason. You know, that offense is different over the last five weeks. There was this thought that this guy was, you know, I think it's one of the reasons that basically nobody was interested in him during last offseason, that basically Washington was his only option. I think that he is perhaps somebody because of inflexibility, stubbornness, you know, short shelf life-ish kind of a, of a guy. And people were concerned about that, even if they thought he really knew what he was doing um, as an offensive coordinator. What I've seen over the last five weeks, just from afar and watching their games, is flexibility, not being stubborn. I was concerned that his stubbornness and his inflexibility, which was sort of the rep, a little bit a part of his rep, was going to continue to get Sam Howell sacked nine times a game, eight times a game, seven times a game. But I've seen a completely different offensive approach. You know, it, it, it's – well, I shouldn't say completely different. It's not so different because they're still throwing the ball a lot more than they're running it. But like we've talked about, like it's more in line with what his quarterback does well, what his offensive line doesn't do well, what his other players on offense do well – and I applaud him for making the necessary changes. And what we've seen because of that is we've gotten the best of Sam Howell so far over the last five games. I mean, that giant game at home, you know, a couple weeks ago wasn't a great Sam Howell game, but he played a lot worse. Four of his five highest QBR games are, are, are over the last five weeks. Um, and so we've seen him trend in the direction, the quarterback, of being – more consistent, maybe is the way I would describe it. To me, it's a, it's a signal that the coach adjusted to the talent rather than forced his way of doing it 
down their throats, which is kind of what we kind of heard he was. So I've seen that he's done that. Um, I'm less inclined, by the way, I brought this up the other day on radio. You'll love this one. If you look at the numbers, they're just slightly better, okay, in terms of what they were under Scott Turner. Like this offense um, is basically 13 and a half yards different than it was last year. You know, a point and a half different in scoring points than it was last year. You know, that's an overall average points. Remember, they've got, you know, I think they have a defensive touchdown. I don't know if they do or not. I can't even think about that right now. Did they have a defensive touchdown against Arizona or not? They had nearly a defensive touchdown. Whatever. The point is that I actually think Scott Turner would probably have had better numbers with Sam Howell at quarterback. So Eric had the benefit of having Sam Howell at quarterback this year. But I've been impressed with his adjustment. I've been impressed with Sam Howell's development and more consistency over the last five games in particular. And I wouldn't look at the numbers being just barely different than last year's numbers. I would look at what I've watched the last five weeks, which has been a young quarterback in a new system, an offense in a new system that's kind of come into its own a little bit. So chalk me up as I don't think – Eric Bieniemy is going to be the head coach. I don't even think necessarily that I think he has to be interviewed to be a head coach. But as an offensive coordinator, I'm much more impressed over the last five weeks than I was the first seven. Much more. Okay, let me speak to something else then. That, okay. uh, and this is kind of from left field, but still deals with the Washington offense and Eric Bieniemy. Uh, and I, I, I heard this on the... Uh, it was the Sunday night game, the Ravens and the Chargers. And uh, what's his name? Jason Garrett brought this up. He said, Kellen Moore, and I know the Chargers only had 10 points in the game, but a lot of people consider Kellen Moore a pretty good offensive mind. Okay? Uh, he told Jason Garrett that his philosophy was to run the heck out of his quarterback, his running back, and his wide receiver. Basically, his offense is built around three players, and everyone else is a complementary player. And I think that that's the way way the Cowboys used to be when it was Michael, Troy, and Emmett. Yeah. Okay, they're all three Hall of Famers. Yeah, this is is Herbert, Eckler, and Keenan Allen. Those are the three players that you're referring to, yes. Right, right. I think that this offense in Washington would be better served if they if they adapted the same kind of philosophy. I don't think they use Brian Robinson nearly enough. They don't run him enough, that's for sure. And where you have a big disagreement about this, I think Terry McLaurin is a better receiver than he's been shown. And if you give him more opportunities as the focus of the offense, I think he'll deliver for you. I think this offense would be better served to concentrate on those three. I think you'd have more consistency offensively if you did that, the, the Kellen Moore philosophy, than uh, you know, spreading the ball around. Um, I mean, Terry McLaurin's been targeted by basically a third more than any other receiver on this team, and he's got the worst percentage of receptions to targets on the team. I've, I've, I've done the Terry McLaurin conversation. I think I did it on the podcast. If I didn't, bottom line is 
I like Terry McLaurin a lot. I think he's somewhere around the top half of the league receiver and number one receiver, but he's not elite. He's not special at all, and I think we've learned that. I've always kind of felt that way to a certain degree, um, but I think we've learned that even more this year. I, I also will point out, as my guy Paulie did on radio the other day, Terry had you know an injured he had an injured toe, remember, back in August, and it's possible that he has played not totally healthy all season long. That's, that, that is within the realm of possibility. What's really interesting, Tommy, is that um, in Kansas City, they basically had quarterback, tight end, receiver. It was Mahomes, Kelsey, Tariq Hill. You know, and that's right. the way they went after people there for a few years until Tariq Hill was gone. Um, and so maybe it's that Eric Bieniemy looked at what he had and said, I don't think I have anybody super special standout that needs to be fed the ball over and over again. And they've spread it around better than anybody in the league. They've got more completions, more attempts than anybody in the league. They've got five guys with 33 catches or more. You know, um, which you know leads the league in that category. Um, I personally don't care how you move the football and score points as long as you're moving the football and scoring points. That's the goal. They haven't scored enough, that's for sure. They've moved it a lot, though, here recently. But I don't know. Um, Terry's not a strap-a-team-to-the-back wide receiver, in my opinion. And as much as I like Brian Robinson Jr., he ain't no Emmett Smith. Or even an Austin Eckler, for that matter. And I don't even think Terry's Keenan Allen. I think Keenan Allen is just incredibly underrated among receivers. But like as an example, you know what they have Justin Herbert. So it's it's uh, it's apples and oranges to even compare Keenan Allen with Terry McLaurin. That's the part of the Terry McLaurin conversation that is so fair, which is. Let's see what he would look like with an actual quarterback. He didn't have one at all until maybe this year where he's got a guy that can actually throw the football pretty well. What else? Your point your point being you think that would work better here, and so that's a knock against Eric Bienemy. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't feel strongly about that. I just think it's something to consider. The Biennemi thing. I don't think Brian Robinson gets the ball enough to carry on carries. I don't think they run him enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think that they've chosen to use, you know, the, the the run extension throws as a way to get him the ball as much as handing it to him. But right. I don't. I think he's looked really good as a runner the last few weeks. I really do. They've actually run him more. You know, obviously not late in the Dallas game, um, but you know he had the the best day of of, of the season against Seattle. Uh, in that, um, in the last game they played, that was competitive. <laughs> They've lost to the Giants twice, people, um, which is good for them. I mean, the Giants are ruining their own draft position by beating Washington twice and then going and beating New England on Sunday. Uh, all right, we got other things to get to. Oh, the last thing about the enemy that I was just going to say to you, if I haven't said it already to, to those that are listening, is that I think the biggest thing with Eric Bianami, Tommy, is we don't know the story. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what was going on behind the scenes in Kansas City. We can, you know, 
We can make guesses based on the fact, like we did in the offseason, that only Washington was interested in hiring him, that Andy Reid was going to elevate Matt Nagy to the offensive coordinator position, even if Eric Bieniemy had come back. Um, we heard Ron you know, stupidly say in public during training camp that players had come to him to express some dissatisfaction about Eric Bieniemy. So there's always been this smoke around Eric Bieniemy, and I think that'll be a big part of, you know, the conversation about Eric Bieniemy. I mean, for all we know, like, ownership is talked to people, and they're like, we're not interviewing him for the head coaching job. This guy is really good at a lot of things. He's just not a head coach. You know, he's got too – he's too rigid. He's too this. He's too that. He's too, you know, tough. He's got a short – whatever it is. There's a lot we don't know – that will end up being a part of the Eric Bieniemy story, whether it's here or elsewhere, when the season ends. So it's really hard to say he should or he shouldn't, or he will or he won't, because I think that's a big part of the Eric Bieniemy conversation. It's not just what you're seeing on the field. I don't know how players feel. Somebody t- t- texted me that the other day when I was saying the same thing on radio. What do you know that you're not telling us about Eric Bieniemy? I don't know anything. I know exactly what you guys know. Players apparently weren't thrilled with him over the summer. Then the players publicly said they love him. Eric, uh, Sam Howe all season long has said over and over again how much Eric Bieniemy and him fit and that it's a great fit. Um, but, you know, you know this. Speak to this. If your head coach is going public with players coming to him in training camp expressing dissatisfaction, there is something to the Eric Bieniemy story beyond what we're seeing on the field that probably will be in consideration. Yes. Absolutely. That was such a bizarre situation. He wasn't even here a couple of weeks. <laughs> what an, how idiotic was that of the head coach? Seriously. Uh, in line with his... His mo. All right, we got other. Shut him up. We got other things to get to, including the breaking news: Aaron Rodgers has been cleared to play. Uh, Real quickly, let me tell you about Window Nation's latest deal. Right now, buy two windows, get two free, so you're paying half price on the windows. Plus, if you want to finance the purchase, 0% financing for five years. Temperatures are dropping. God, you know what? Was it cold this morning? It was 22 when I went out to take the dog out very early this morning, Tommy. I'm sure it was much colder in Frederick, you know, out there in the country. Um, So winter is coming. Energy costs are on the rise. If you've got older windows, your furnace is working too hard to keep your family warm. Take advantage of this Window Nation deal. Two free windows with every two you buy. Protect your family from the elements, lower your energy costs, and upgrade the look and feel of your home. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Back after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. You'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. Uh, Tommy, I actually made a wager uh, today uh, at MyBookie. I placed a wager on the Baltimore Ravens to win the Super Bowl plus 660. Um, I was in conversation with my producer, Denton, on the radio show. And I, we were talking about, like, who do we see in the final four? Who do we see winning this? And I, I'm just I'm blown away, impressed every time I watch Baltimore. And the number was too attractive on the, their current Super Bowl odds at my bookie. Right now, Philly is the uh, – San Francisco is the favorite at plus 400. The Eagles are plus 410. The Chiefs are plus 420. And Baltimore was just sitting there like a sore thumb at plus 660. So uh, I put a little on the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. They're really good. They are really, really good. I hope, by the way, that we get a chance to see Kansas City play road playoff games this coming January. That would be nice. Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game. Also, by the way, if I didn't mention this the other day, pretty wild, um, and I would not have guessed this, and I'm usually pretty good at guessing point spreads, how about the fact that San Francisco is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Philly on Sunday? Ten and that's one. Am- that's amazing. And that's Sa- amazing. San Francisco's favored. I would have guessed yeah. Pickham. I would have guessed Pickham. I would not have guessed Philly would have been an outright favorite. I would have guessed Pickham or minus one either way. I've seen the 49ers as high as minus three in spots at my bookie right now. They're minus two and a half. You can get the Eagles right now plus two and a half at minus 101. So basically even money at plus two and a half. Uh, that's the game of the year in the NFC for sure. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. Uh, this from Thomas. Uh, via Apple Podcast Reviews, he gave us five stars. If you haven't rated or, rev- or reviewed the show, and you can take a moment to do so, it would be much appreciated, especially on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast where you're able to do that, and follow us on Apple and Spotify. That's a big deal as well. This from Thomas. Is it possible to do more than three minutes on the Terps? 
I love listening to you. I was under the impression that the Kevin Sheehan show talks about local sports. I don't need an hour and a half every single day on the skins. You used to coach basketball, and your knowledge of basketball is above average, so it would be great to hear you incorporate the University of Maryland basketball team on a regular basis. Tommy, tell Thomas who my favorite team is by far and that I care the most about right now. Okay. Thomas, you must be a newcomer to the podcast, although you don't sound like it, because if anything – Kevin Sheen has been accused of doing too much Maryland <laughs> basketball. Not necessarily not enough. There is nothing that means more to Kevin than Maryland basketball. But it's it's November. Yeah. Thomas. Yeah. Come on. I agree, though, with Thomas. We don't do a lot of other, you know, I... I did, you know, we did Maryland football a bunch this year, but very quickly, um, and usually just after the game or before the game. Um, I, you know, we had Steve Suter on a couple times. I had Loxley a few times on radio. Um, and trust me, I, you know, I watched the game last night, Thomas, against Ryder. Okay. I, I, I've watched every minute of every game so far. It was nice to see us actually score. Uh, I think Maryland beat Ryder last night, 103 to 76. They open up Big Ten play, Tommy, Friday night at Indiana. Uh, and then they've got Penn State next week. Um, this was a rough start to the season. We talked a little bit about the disaster at Villanova. It's November, as Tommy said, Thomas. And I, if, like, if I thought there was an actual business around just doing a Maryland basketball or a Maryland sports podcast, I would actually do it. Because it's my passion. I mean, the skins are my passion, too. But I would do it. But there's just... There used to be, Tommy, you know this. This used to be a town where you could make the case after after the skins, it was Maryland basketball number two. I mean, a lot of Gary's era here. Maryland basketball was the biggest driver of eyeballs, of listeners... Uh, of anything else other than the skins. That that was true in sports talk radio. That was true in a lot of ways that you could measure that, including ticket availability, television ratings, et cetera, et cetera. You know, more so than the Caps, Wizards at any point. Um, it's not that way anymore. It just isn't. We have become much more of a, a, a true pro sports town than we used to be. I think I would attribute it to, A, having baseball here, having had a World Series, having a hockey team that's won a Stanley Cup. Um, I mean, Maryland basketball still matters, but it matters when they're playing their biggest games of the year and when they're really good. And so when they're playing, you know, big games in, you know, when football season is over in February, March, you know, March in particular – we can do 30 to 40 minutes on you know their win over West Virginia in the tournament last year. Um, but to do it in November, yeah, it's not yeah. – it's just not – it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Um, I agree. You know, by the way, just as a quick aside, and I'm not going to turn this into sort of any personal attack – 
I always find it interesting with all of the other teams in town that aren't named the Skins. I actually feel this way about the Skins to a certain degree because they've lost so much interest in recent years. If I were the PR person at Maryland or at Georgetown or at or for the Wizards or for the Nats or for the Caps, I would be on you every fucking week to write a column. I would be on every sports talk radio show host to say, hey, I got, you know, how'd you like to have the coach on? How'd you like to have our best player on? Um, and there's there's not a lot of proactive. There's a lot of passivity on that end, thinking that they've got an audience uh, that's appropriate. It could be a lot better. Because you have because you have people in these jobs that, for the most part, really don't know what their jobs are supposed to be. Okay? Look, I remember years ago when the Nats, at one point, had five players named to their all-star, the all-star team. Right. And this is when they just turned the corner from being bad to being good. And we couldn't get a guy on. I know. On the radio show. I know. I mean, I said to the PR guy, I said... You should be holding a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue with Mike Rizzo in front of his five all-star players. Yeah. My God, they should be everywhere. So this is, this is, a, this is a, a symptom of the business, of the public relations business. Uh, not enough people in the business know how to say yes. Too many people know how to say no. Yeah, and I don't think it's no because of you know, oh, you know, we don't have to help you or even a lack of recognition about how things like this and columns and reporters and talk show hosts, et cetera, can help them. Because actually for most of the teams in the area, it would be much more beneficial for them than it would be for us. I think it's that they're afraid at times to tell coaches, general managers, players, you need to fucking do this. You need to do this. Yeah. We don't have people yeah, watching and, and, our games why? or coming to our games or caring about us enough. And that is, this actually speaks to the course I teach, the business of sports media, where one of our messages is, you know, the media, your media relations affects everything you do throughout the organization. Right. And this is a problem with people on the top don't recognize, don't give their PR person the backing or the support yeah. to force these players to do this stuff because it's good for the team. They don't value it enough. They don't put value on it. And if, if, if you haven't learned in this day and age that, that sports media has a high value, then I can't help you. You're just not paying attention. Well, Tommy, wouldn't you even say, like, in a market like ours, it's so much more important because, first of all, it's not a great sports town to begin with. There's, I mean, this is a political town. This is, you know, this is a bandwagon town when it comes to almost anything. Um, and so you've there's so much clutter. Um, and then you have this behemoth, even though it's not nearly the size it used to be, but it still sucks up almost all of the air in the room, you know, because it just does. I mean, you're going, you know, 
um, the, the you go rob a bank because that's where the money is. You you talk yeah. about the Redskins, you talk about the Commanders because that's where the interest is. That's where the volume, the high volume of interest is, even when they suck. And it's not the same as it used to be, but it still dwarfs everything else. And uh, yeah, so it, it's even more important in a market why- like this. I would say to the, the, the Nats, I'd say you, you need to put on some off-season events, some things to basically call attention to the fact that you're still in town in the middle of, <laughs> of, the, of the Commander's Redskins slash Commander season. Yeah. Just something to get the TV cameras to come to your event, to get reporters to come, some kind of thing. You know, I mean, they stop their fan. They don't do their, fan, their winter fest anymore. They stopped doing it a couple years ago. You know, they, the teams just give up. They wow. don't. They, they don't understand the value, and they don't have the support behind them higher up to recognize the value. Right. So they get what they they get what they earn. Well, not Tommy. Part part of this conversation, I'm surprised that we haven't gotten to this yet. But for the Wizards and the Caps and all of those other E teams and J teams and X teams that Ted owns. I mean, now they want to. I think they prefer to funnel it all through the Monumental Network. And yes, they have their own. They have their own network. And it's like, why wouldn't you want everything? And I look there. There are, I, 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 I the the PR people in town. There are several of them, several of them that I like a lot, and that I actually understand the challenges that they have. And you've we've outlined some of those right now, but. You know, for the Wizards and the Caps, I mean, no offense, nobody cares in terms of like real massive numbers until they're playing meaningful games in the postseason, which hasn't happened and won't happen for the Wizards for quite a while. Uh, the Caps, they might get there again, and we love talking about the Caps when they're playing in the playoffs. But like at the other times of the year, they should be, this should be outbound marketing. Not they shouldn't yeah. be sitting there, you know, order taking. I mean, that's not the business they're in, with a bunch of reps in a room, to, right. you know, taking calls. I mean, it should all be, you know, outbound, aggressive. Um, but whatever. I don't. I don't even know how we get. But, but again, it speaks what? to how much value do you put on it? They don't. They just don't value it that much. I can't believe that you wouldn't value it in this day and age, but they don't. I think that some of these, and I don't think it's the PR people. I think there are people, and I've had these conversations with PR people before in town. Like, seriously? You know, I've said, you can't get me this person? Like, do you, do you realize that, no offense, but this is actually for a 15-minute period or a 12-minute period, I'm, go- I'm taking a big risk moving away from what I should be talking about to talk about this. Like, a big risk. But, I, you know, it's interesting to me for whatever reason. And, by the way, I'd like to, you know, it, it, it but no. And the PR people recognize that, but sometimes the people that they work for don't recognize that. I don't know how. No, I mean, they, they live here. How don't they know that? Um, but, you know, anyway, uh, the Wizards. I had somebody actually say to me, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you talk about the Wizards Pistons game before it happened the other night? I swear to God, I had somebody tweet me that. I think it was tongue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was tongue in cheek. Um, but uh, did you see the latest uh, 
you say the latest Jordan Poole uh, mishap from that game? <laughs> yeah, I did. That little little stop on the baseline and yeah. just try to chuck it underhanded and he got thrown into the first row. Yeah, I saw that. Imagine doing that on the playground. Well, I mean, I I kind of understand the, the move there. It's just that you can't do it when you've got you know somebody lurking there getting ready to throw it into the first row. Speaking of that, real quickly, the NBA, as we do it very quickly – did you follow the story last night of these NBA, you know, in-season tournament games that were coming down to point differential for tie-breaking procedures? You didn't, did you? You're, I'm speaking great. What do you think the answer is? So uh, let me try to explain it real quickly because I don't want to lose a lot, a lot of listeners, but I think it was kind of interesting. So do you know what this in-season NBA tournament is or not? Yeah, I know. I know. You do. Okay. It's some kind of thing. It's some kind of thing. Uh, They've had these weird-looking floors on Tuesdays and Friday nights. Yeah, I know. So last night was the end of group play, and now we're on to the the knockout stage, soccer talk, the knockout stage with the quarterfinals coming up Monday and Tuesday night, and that'll lead to semifinal games. And eventually, a week from Saturday, the championship game in Vegas for this in-season NBA soccer-style tournament. Well... The tiebreakers for group play, wildcard spots, and even the group um, winner is point differential. So last night in these games, you had three games in particular where teams were up by a lot of points, but they were trying to run up the score. The Knicks were trying to run up the score on Charlotte at the end of the game. They won. Uh, they ended up uh, securing the wildcard spot because they beat out Cleveland for the wildcard, who at the same time was trying to run it up on Atlanta. Like, both teams had big margins, and they kept their starters in, and they kept trying to score. And the other, the opponents were not, the opponents were not thrilled about this, but here was the best. Boston was playing Chicago last night, and to win their group, they needed it was point differential. They were playing Chicago. They're up 29 entering the fourth quarter. They played their starters. They played Jason Tatum the final 10 minutes of the game, but here's the kicker. They started to hack a shack Andre Drummond and put him at the free throw line because they wanted more possessions to score more points. And Billy Donovan, the coach of the Bulls, was not happy. And Joe Mazzulla went to him and said, Billy, this is these are the rules. It's point differential to break these ties. And Andre Drummond went one for six from the free throw line <laughs> down the stretch. And they won, you know, by whatever it was, ended up being the final margin. But um, that's stupid. Somebody could have thought of that before the season started, before they went into this thing. You just do some sort of strength of schedule, strength of victory for the entire season as a tiebreaker, head-to-head throughout the entire season, if applicable. That, that, was, that was dumb. Became a, a, a big story last night. By the way, you know who's watching college basketball in the NBA? I was last night. I was watching Maryland, and then I watched Sacramento and the Warriors last night, late night. Oh, my God. <laughs> So hopeless. Uh, I, I give me Sacramento a show. Sacramento and the Warriors. Give me a good show to watch. I'll watch that. Um, did I? Uh, did I tell you I went and saw Napoleon? No. Are you interested in seeing Napoleon? Seeing Napoleon? Yeah. Yeah. If I don't know if I'll go to the theater or not, should I go to the theater and see it? Okay. 
no, you should not go to the theater and see it. You should not. Really? You should not spend your money on this movie. Wow. I was so looking forward to this. My son and I were so looking forward to this. Ridley Scott, Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, to me, Gladiator is a top five movie of all time for me. And it was disappointing. Really disappointing. I don't know. Maybe, wow. I, 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 I went to check to see some of the reviews, and I think the reviews would back me up on this um, for the most part. I think it did an incredible box office number because it was, you know, it was the night before Thanksgiving. It came out Thanksgiving weekend, you know, especially on that Friday after Thanksgiving, people are looking for something to do. God, I was disappointed, really disappointed. Uh, that's all I'll say. I'll just tell you, you okay. shouldn't, you shouldn't well, pay. I gotta go see it. Then. You shouldn't pay money. I'll wait till it You'll comes wait till on comes TV. Comes, exactly. Um, yeah. Breaking news. But it's a good TV show. A good TV show I've told you about before, Fargo. Yeah. You should watch that because they've started a new season, season five. Okay. After a few years of not doing anything, mm-hmm. they started a season five. It's on FX. Okay. You should go back and watch Fargo from the beginning. You'll love it. I will. Um, I, I do. You know what? That's been on my list. I didn't just say I will as as a way to dismiss that. It's been on my list. You've said that to me before, and I should definitely get to it. I know that I'll love it. Um, so how about this? Aaron Rodgers cleared to practice 11 weeks after tearing his Achilles. He has been cleared to practice. Uh, look, they've got 21 days on the, you know, activating him from injured reserve. That would mean that uh, as of December 20th, he could come off. That would be the last opportunity for, for him to come off, which means that he possibly could be back and be playing against Washington on Christmas Eve. I watched some of his comments from the McAfee show yesterday, and for the first time, I think he kind of admitted that if they're out of it, there's no reason for him to play. Now, this is still amazing that he's been cleared by doctors 11 weeks after a torn Achilles to begin practice. They're calling this one of the more extraordinary comebacks from this injury that, you know, people have ever seen. I'll believe it when I see him on the field as to whether or not he's being able to do that. But it would really be stupid for him to play for the Jets if they're completely out of it, which they are close to becoming completely out of it. They play the Falcons, Texans, and Dolphins over the next three weeks, and they're already a 4-7 and seven football team. Like, they would have to pretty much win two of the next three and be 6-8 and eight for him to come back to play against Washington, Cleveland, and New England to try to get to nine wins and get, and get in the postseason. But pretty – I mean – I know he went a different route than the normal Achilles thing. There's this thing called the, what do they call it? The Achilles factory or something like that. It's out in California. They've got some new technique of recovering from this. I don't know. Um, I don't think he'll play because I don't think they'll win many games. And I think they'll be out of it when he's actually ready to play if he is ready to play. I think he's going to play no matter whether they're out of it or not. This is too big an opportunity for Mr. Anti-Visor to show the world that, you know, he knows best when it comes to these, th- these issues of medicine and, and doctors. 
He's not going to miss this did you, opportunity. Did you mean to say anti-vaccine? You said anti-Pfizer. No, 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 no. Anti-Pfizer. Pfizer. I'm sorry. Anti-Pfizer. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, because he called Travis Kelsey Mr. Pfizer. Right. You know, and I called him Mr. Anti-Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing because he's got – if he doesn't play, it's because that this really – he really can't play. Okay, um, that, that part of this is a charade. This so-called quick comeback. I don't think he's playing. I think the team will I let, think he is. I think the team will. And ask, he'll play. He'll wind up playing on Christmas Eve. I don't think he'll play um, be, because I don't think the team will let It'll him play. It'll be biblical. Uh, no. It It'll won't. be absolutely biblical. It won't be. It, it's not going to happen. They are truly awful at quarterback. They can't win these games. It's a shame because the truth is, is that – What's clear in watching the Jets this year is if Aaron Rodgers had been healthy and played, this would be a team in the mix right now. Yeah. Um, not not well, just they a playoff team. they got themselves to blame not to be better prepared going into the season uh, without a better plan B. It's hard to have a plan B when you got so much invested in plan A. I mean, there aren't a lot of good plan A's right now out there. There are a lot of teams with some pretty yeah. bad plan A's. Uh, but yeah, um, Tommy DeVito looks like a pretty good plan B, doesn't he? I told you he didn't suck right before the Washington game. Yeah. But he isn't very good either. Uh, all right. Uh, I want to finish up with something that I did not talk about on Monday. I wanted to save with Tommy. Um, and that is, uh, Sean Taylor and the, uh, anniversary of his death on Monday. And the piece that his daughter put together and did on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Tommy's got a couple of other things as well. We'll finish up right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, I'm going to hit Shelly's tomorrow night, Thursday night, after class at Georgetown. So if you're, if you're in Shelly's or around Shelly's, stop by and say hello uh, and buy me a beer. Okay, you wouldn't be the first one to buy me a beer at Shelly's. It's that kind of place. Uh, but don't go there on Monday night between 5 and 10 p.m. Because as a public service, I'm going to announce this. Shelly's will be closed from 5 to 10 on Monday, December 4th, for a private event. I've told you before that Shelly's is in demand to host, particularly holiday parties, but all sorts of different kind of parties and outings. 
It's one of the things they do really well. They can host events for up to 250 people or for very small crowds as well. They've got a great party menu, great selection of, of, of stuff for a party. I've, I've, I use it for uh, the D.C. Gray Cigars and Curveballs event. Uh, you can find out more at Shelly'sBackroom.com uh, if you're looking to host a party at Shelly's. It would, it would be a very unique party for your party goers. Shelly's Backroom. Great spot is Shelly's. Um, do you have anything, before I just get to something that I want to say about this Jackie Taylor um, tribute to her father on Thanksgiving Day? Did you see it? No, you go right ahead, sir. Okay. So, a lot, I didn't watch it when it was on. I was not watching the pregame um, before the game on Thursday, but a lot of you said, did you see it? And reached out and sent me the link to it, and I've watched it. It's like two and a half minutes. If you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend watching it. Jackie Taylor um, was Sean Taylor's daughter. She's a high-level volleyball player. She's got a, a, a scholarship to go to the University of North Carolina to play um, college volleyball. Uh, and it was just, I don't know, it was just very emotional to watch it. Um, first of all, she really reveled at the at the very end of Washington playing Dallas. And she says at the very end, you know, hey, Washington, beat Dallas. And it was kind of, it, it was kind of a Washington-centric thing at the very end. But her memories of her father and the memories that were interwoven in there, which included words from Clinton Portis and Santana Moss, were really beautiful and very emotional and you know tie you know when it's when it's part of you know a, a highlight montage of watching Sean play you just realize god that's a long time ago she was a baby and now she's getting ready to go on to college and she's lived yeah. the 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 significant you know the, almost her entire life without her father um, being a part of it, but he's still such a big part of their lives. And it was just very well done by her, very well narrated by her. But God, I, I, I just thought back to that time. It's 16 years ago. It's not like it's a significant anniversary of his death. I mean, when I say that, I guess every year would be for those that knew him and, and were, um, a part of his life. But, um, I remember specifically that week. I also remember some of the you know, weeks and months leading up to that season and that year. Remember, Sean was not, you know, what everybody thinks he was about to become early on in his career. There was a maturity issue with him early on. Remember, he wouldn't return Joe Gibbs's phone calls on yeah. the field. Uh, he wasn't always in position. There were a lot of big blow-up tackle attempts that were completely missed. But I remember the part, you know, both before his death and afterwards where there was this maturing of Sean Taylor before our very eyes on the field and off of it. And he credited all, all of that to the birth of his daughter. You know, I remember players talking about, you know, how Sean has come into his own and has grown up and matured because he had a daughter that is everything to him. And... um you know, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say something about Chase Young, but I'm not even going to bring Chase Young into this conversation because w- whatever, wish him the best in San Francisco. But uh, 
that was a season in which when people like I think he's been built up to a point after his passing that some people believe has been overdone in terms of the kind of player he was or was going to be. But I think those people that do that don't give uh, that final season enough due to his changing um, from uh, from being less perhaps mature to much more mature. And the season that he had that year, this the player he was becoming, he was a dominant yeah. player that year. Like you could start to see – this guy's got a chance to be like a, a, a defensive MVP of the league at some point. That final season in 2007, remember, included the the, the game um, where he had uh, the two interceptions at Green Bay at Lambeau that could have been like four with the range from going from one side of the field to another on a Brett Favre throw that he nearly picked off. I think he had one where he picked it off, but he was out of bounds. He was a he was a great player at that point. And I think we missed, because he was 24 years old, we clearly missed what were about to be the prime years of of a guy who was playing the best football and the most mature football of his career at that point. But I don't think – I think people that say you over – his, his legend has grown because of his passing – um, and he actually wasn't what everybody makes him out to be. People do that with bias sometimes. Um, I disagree. I think that we were about to see one of the greatest players that would have ever played for the franchise. I think a lot of his teammates felt the same way. Yeah, but sometimes they can, you know, they can get caught up in the the legend of somebody who passed away yeah. tragically as well. You know, sometimes they're the biggest pushers of a, a narrative about a player that you know perhaps w- are a little bit inflated. I, I just think that those that remember some of those inconsistencies early in his career forget how great he was in that final season before he got injured, and then obviously when he went home got murdered. Um, but uh, watch; it's two and a half minutes. If you haven't seen it, just YouTube it. Uh, I thought it was really touching, and just to to see somebody who lost their father in such an unbelievably tragic way, and then it was such a public thing, and to see her, and to, based on what I saw in two and a half minutes, to see somebody who just has it, seems to have it all together, um, it it was lovely to watch. I'll just leave it at that. Anything else from you? I got nothing else for you today, boss. Okay. Uh, It was great to catch up. We will do it tomorrow, too. I didn't have a podcast yesterday. Something came uh, up, and I couldn't do a show. Tommy was gracious enough to do it today. And you're going to join me tomorrow, too? Is that true? That's true. All right. Well, let's watch some NBA and some college basketball tonight and talk about that tomorrow. Uh, Back tomorrow. Good luck with that. The things that she can do, you know, and volleyball was like me watching her dad on the football field. I know my dad is always with me, protecting and guiding me. That's what I'm most grateful for. And thankful that today I have his wisdom, his guidance, and his words as inspiration. And now you do too. 
continue to grow as a man and as a player every day. Appreciate everything around me every day. Never regret nothing. Be great. Live every day to the fullest. Never have a day where you want another chance at achieving your goal. Make it happen. This is the 127th face-off. The fiercest rivalry in the game. From my family to yours, happy Thanksgiving. Hey, Washington. Beat Dallas. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contain high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.